It's from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 13, where Paul writes of God, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And so uh, this week, we're beginning a kind of five-week um, series looking at the thread of covenant that goes through the Old Testament and takes us into the person of Jesus and Advent and Christmas. And the heart of covenant is the faithfulness of God, so that Paul can write those words to Timothy that actually, even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. Now, um, quite a few years ago, more years ago than I like to remember, I was like a horrible, horrible teenager. I was a parent's worst nightmare, and I kicked out over everything. And um, yeah, my relationship with my parents was pretty tricky during that time. And I remember this one moment, and they had gone away um, and left me at home. Um, my dad's a vicar, so I was at home alone at the vicarage. And I threw a house party, and it got completely, completely out of hand. Like 200 people I didn't even know turned up. And they trashed the vicarage from um, top to bottom. And there was one horrible moment where I thought it'd be a really good idea to hand over the keys to the church so that we could just continue the party in the church. I didn't do it, thank goodness. Like, I don't think they'd let me be a vicar now, actually, if I'd done that, but anyway. Um, but I remember my parents coming home, and I just thought, oh no, oh no. Despite my best kind of clear-up effort, it was not cleared up. The house was trashed, and I thought, this is crunch point. They're gonna, they're gonna kick me out. And actually, they were so angry, but they didn't. They were faithful to me. They said, actually, Here's a load more boundaries, which I kind of kicked against a bit more, but we love you. We're going to be faithful to you in this. And so actually over the next couple of years, um, as I began to sort of wrestle with faith and think, you know, I've got to sort my life out again before God. It was the faithfulness of my parents, their prayer, their love for me that I think really held me firm, really drew me back into the kingdom. And as I reflect on those years, I just think, gosh, what a picture of the God that we worship, that actually he is faithful even when we kick out, even when we're totally, totally faithless. And what a picture of the covenant that the Lord establishes with us again and again that begins right back in Genesis. Um, Mike Pilavacci, that well-known theologian, if you've ever uh, come across Soul Survivor, just puts it like this. He says, actually, the story of the Bible the story of this scripture that we're reading is the story of God pursuing the human race. And so right from Genesis through to Revelation, we've got this God who pursues us again and again and again. Who no matter what we do, steps into human history, says, actually, I love you, my children. I will pursue you. And the way that he does this, especially articulated in the Old Testament, is through this concept of covenant. He pursues us through covenant. And so if we go right back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, just to rehearse it all, we know that God created the world and he created us, humankind, in his image. And he looked at us and he said, it's good. And he looked at the creation and he said, it's good. And then he said to us, I've got one job for you, steward over this creation, steward well. 
and don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what do we do? We eat from the tree. And we know Genesis 3, the fall comes in, there's disconnection between humankind and God, and there's disconnection between creation itself and God. But God, in his very character, is faithful. And so he doesn't just step back and go, oh, blow it. I'll just leave them to it. I'll go and create another world, another humanity. Actually, he's faithful, and again and again, he steps into human history. So salvation doesn't begin in the person of Jesus. Actually, it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Actually, salvation begins in Genesis 4, as God steps in and begins to engage again and again with fallen humanity. So we look at Genesis 4 to 11, and we see the issue of sin, the wickedness in the world, and God's desire to call us to himself through covenant. And that first covenant is the covenant of Noah, which we'll look at in a moment. And then Genesis 12 through to Malachi take us through sort of the rest of the Old Testament. And again and again, God breaks in. Israel, God's people, always getting it wrong, always worshipping other gods. But God is always covenanting himself to them with Abraham, with Moses and the Israelites, with David and the sort of line of kings and through the prophets. And then Jesus breaks onto the scene. The New Testament, the Gospels. And Jesus is described as the minister of a new covenant, a better covenant, a covenant that fulfills all that has gone before and says to each and every one of us, you're welcomed in. Come in, my children. Come in, my friends. And points to the new creation where all will be fulfilled and consummated. So that's where we land historically and theologically with this idea of covenant. But what on earth is covenant? It's a bit of a strange word, isn't it? Um, if you type covenant into Google, which I did twice this week, um, it just says that it is an agreement between one party and another party. So actually when we take out a mortgage or something like that, that's a covenant between us and the bank. If we take out a loan for a car, that's a covenant between us and whoever we got the money from for the car. However, the biblical idea of covenant is so much deeper than that because it's about the heart of God. It's about the character of God who is forever faithful so that we can relax into the fact that even if we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Somewhere in the nature of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is such a fidelity, such a faithfulness, that it hangs on to us, even when we're at our worst, and also when we're at our best. When things go wrong, he doesn't just leave us to it, he steps into human history. And there's two ways in to this picture of covenant, I think, which sort of represent well what it's all about. And the first is um, human relationships. So we can have the next slide. That's a lovely picture of a friendship between Georgia and Ruth that I took in the office on Thursday. So human relationships. <laughs> Sorry, Ruth, I don't know where you are. Um, human relationships. And human relationships at their best. I like the relationship between my parents and me when I was a bit of a nightmare. They're full of honor and love and respect and fidelity. And we can find that in marriage and in friendship. Long-term Christian friendship really reflects the heart of God as we kind of covenant to each other and we say, you know, I'm going to walk that walk with you. I'm going to ask you the hard questions. I'm going to run with you. I'm going to love you. 
human relationships, because we're made in the image of God, also reflect something of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's covenantal love for us that is forever faithful. So that's one side of it, faithfulness and love. But on the flip side, we also need to press into the sovereignty of God and the fact that actually in God's sovereignty, because he is king, we're called into obedience. And so in the Old Testament, um, when a king conquered a nation and became their king, a slightly bizarre ritual took place where the conquered nation would um, make a peace treaty with the king and they would bring um, a sacrifice of animals, so I guess some like goats and sheep and cows and things. That's my really dodgy clip art picture of what's about to happen. <laughs> I'm going to get Laura Hicks to make my PowerPoints from now on. They'll be much better. Anyway, aside. So the king would be there and the conquered nation would bring a sacrifice of these animals. And then they would cut the animals in half and they would put the pieces of the animal on either side of the king. And the king would walk through the sacrifice of, as a way of saying, actually, I receive your sacrifice and I'm the king. I'm sovereign over you. You've given yourself to me and I'll rule over you. And when we look at the Abrahamic covenant, so the covenant after Noah, which Tim will look at next week, we see this ritual enacted. So Genesis 15, actually the Lord says to Abraham, bring me a sacrifice. And he does. And he cuts these animals in half. And then in the night, the angel of the Lord walks through the sacrifice as a way of saying, I am God. I am sovereign over you. I'm the sovereign partner in this covenant. So covenant with God is about love and faithfulness. Christianity is not religion, it's a relationship. Covenant is about our relationship with the living God and his faithful, faithful love to us, no matter how far we might run from him. But equally, it's about the sovereignty of God, that he is king above all kings. And in that sovereignty, we are called into obedience. And actually, as the covenant thread works itself out over the Old Testament, that whole aspect of obedience comes again and again and again. That we're called to live in his ways because he is the creator. He knows the creation. He knows how he's made us. And when we walk as he has made us, when we walk how he has asked us to, we flourish, we glorify his name, and his creation around us flourishes. So, if we turn to our scripture now. As I said, Genesis 4 to 11 first show us the problem of human sin and then begin to show us the answer through covenant. And in Genesis 4, um, the Lord is talking to Cain. Um, Cain is one of the sons of Adam and Eve. Um, Abel is the other. And the Lord just says this to Cain. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And that's the problem of sin. Actually, it desires to have us. And we're called to rule over it. We're called to stand firm, as James puts it. But the Lord knows there's absolutely no way we can do that on our own. 
And so his next move is to covenant, is to say, I am your God, I will be with you. You can rule over this sin. You can stand firm in me by my spirit. And so the, uh, chapters four to five, they go on to sort of tell us the story of Cain and Abel, lots of genealogies and things like that that take us to Noah. And then we hit Genesis 6. And Genesis 6 says that the Lord looked out over the earth and the wickedness was so great that his heart was grieved and he wished he hadn't created humanity. But he's a faithful God and so he had created humanity and he was going to be faithful to his creation. So he looks around and he sees Noah, one righteous man. He says, okay, I'm going to hold my creation in that person. And so we all know the story, don't we? The floods come up and the people come into the ark and the animals and everything. Um, so the Lord says to Noah, build this ark. Bring in some animals. Bring in your family. And then the flood waters come and they wash away the earth. They wash away the wickedness. But humanity, creation itself, is held within the ark. Held there as the world is almost uncreated. Humanity, creation is still held because God is faithful. And so in Genesis 6 to 8, we see this kind of uncreation. And then we turn to Genesis chapter 9. And we see God restoring because he is faithful. As he is uncreated, so he recreates through Noah, through covenant, through all that is in the ark. And so verses 9 to 10, they just highlight the sovereignty of God. That actually God is sovereign over all creation. He's reinstating this Genesis 1 and 2 reality. And the covenant is not just between God and humanity. Actually, it's about the whole of creation. So verse 10, every living creature. Verse 12, every living creature. Verse 15, all living creatures. Always highlighting the sovereignty of God over the creation that he has made. But also, this covenant highlights the faithfulness of God. So verse 11 Never again will I send a flood. Verse 13, actually the sign of the rainbow, a sign of God's faithfulness that actually whenever a rainbow appears in the sky, the Lord remembers, we remember that we worship a faithful God. Verse 16, 17, constantly repeated, I will remember. The heart of this covenant, the heart of all covenants with God are his sovereignty, and his faithfulness. And that's what unravels as we move through the Old Testament. So the character of covenant. Well, covenant reflects the fact that God is relational. It reflects his faithfulness. Tim was saying last week, wasn't he, that actually in reference to us, God knows nothing except sonship and daughtership. He only knows us as his kids because he's faithful and he's loving. Covenant reflects God's activity. 
that he's an active God. We don't worship a distant God. We worship a God who daily, moment by moment, in his very being, has chosen to be active in human life. It uh, reflects his zeal, his desire for us to come to him. But it also reflects his holiness. So just a couple of books further on in Leviticus, God turns to his people and he says, be holy as I am holy. We're called into holiness because he's sovereign. And in that sovereignty, we're called to obedience. And so covenant reflects this loving, faithful heart of God. But it also reflects his sovereignty and within that, our obedience. Actually, there's a dignity in being human beings. And it's the dignity of inclusion. The great God, the great I am, looks at each and every one of you and says, I include you. I've chosen to work through you. You're my hands. You're my feet. The dignity of inclusion is right there in covenant because he gets involved. It's a relationship. Gordon Fee puts it like this. He just says, covenant means letting ourselves be reshaped into his likeness. We're called daily to be reshaped into the likeness of God so that I become, you become. I become more than Lydia that God had in mind before the creation of the world, before the fall. Cheska becomes more the Francesca that God had in mind before the fall. We're conformed into his likeness through this dignity of inclusion, through his covenant purposes, through the fact that he is active in our lives and he calls us again and again into relationship with him. And so to take home from all of this, well, firstly, it's the fact that God is faithful. Before else, God is faithful and there is complete security in him. You can never push him away. You can never kick too far. He will chase you. He's the God who pursues. I just remember the time that I was coming back to faith and God was pursuing me again and again and again. Had these like weird experiences where um, I'd be in a nightclub sometimes, totally out of my face on all sorts of things you shouldn't take. Um, And I just have these kind of flashbacks to being filled with the Holy Spirit because I've been a Christian years before this. And this deep longing to get back there. Actually, God, in a really positive way, began to invade my thought life, began to pursue me, began to call me home. At a really practical level, he began to put people in my life who just said, okay, I'll befriend you, I'll be church, walk with me, run with me. You can never push God too far. He'll be faithful in the small things and in the big things. There's complete, complete security in our God. But we're also called to be active. Um, I came across this diagram, which I photographed quite badly and then um, emailed to myself. But there we go. (laughs) Makes the point. (laughs) Actually, we're called to be active because God is sovereign, because he takes our actions seriously, because he says, be holy as I am holy. So firstly, our relationship with God, that kind of up arrow there. Actually, how, how is our relationship with God? How's our quiet times? How's our prayer life? And it can get really, really busy, can't it, life? And it can be so squeezed out sometimes, our time with God. But there's things we can put in place just to help that. 
you know, just put a sort of reminder on your mobile phone so it goes off when you're on the tube or something like that. And just that moment, you think about God, you have a chat with God about what's going on in your life just there. You realign yourself. Uh, my sister has this really strange or cool idea, I can't quite work out which, um, where she has a chair in her house. And my brother-in-law just knows that when she's sitting in that chair, she's hanging out with God. So she goes and sits in the chair. Physical space really, really matters to her. Actually prioritize your relationship with God. Keep it innovative. Keep it active. Probably get visceral with it. Relationship with God before all else. How's that going? Self. Actually, how's our personal holiness? How's our thought life? Have we got those people in our lives who ask us the hard questions? We really encourage here at St. Dee's our prayer triplets and like accountability groups because we know that we can't run this race alone. Actually, it's so much easier to walk out personal holiness when you've got someone next to you who's going to ask you the question, who you're going to run this stuff with. So personal holiness, how's that going? How's your relationship with others? How's your action towards each other? Actually, you're in that bit of a rut that I get into like all the time where you know you're just snapping at people because you're a bit tired. Do you need to kind of bring yourself before the Lord and just say, you know what, could you give me grace for that person? How's your generosity? What's your reflex when someone asks you for something, for time? How is our relationship with others? God longs for it to be a generous, loving one. And how's our relationship with the world? with creation. Actually, what about our work? So often work just feels like a massive burden, doesn't it? But actually work is God-given. Scripture says, you know, it's not good for us to be idle. So perhaps for some of us this evening, we just need to come before the Lord and say, could you re-envision me for my work? Could you give me your heart for this place that you've put me in? How is your relationship with the creation itself? You know, how's it going with recycling, with your carbon footprint, with your love of trees or whatever else? The heart of covenant is not just about us. It's about the whole of creation, and we're called to steward it well. And so, God is faithful, absolute security in him. But in that security, we're called to action. We're called to work on our relationship with God. We're called to work on ourselves. We're called to work on our relationship with each other. And we're called to treat the creation well, to treat our work well as God-given. That's the heart of covenant. That God so loved this world that he again and again for all of human history has stepped into it. And he's covenanted himself to us, each and every one of us sitting here, and there's a dignity in that and an inclusion in that. But there's an activity to be had in that too. Amen. Amen. Um, can I invite us to stand? Um, we're going um, to wait on the Lord, see what he...